0: Ana Pignol moved from Spain to Silicon Valley to become a startup founder. She not only got invested by the venture capital firm NFX, but decided to join them to fund other startups. Ana is now a principal at NFX. Day after day, she sees and writes checks for transformational business models in Latin America. In this episode, Ana and I talk about what she learned from being an executive at Amazon in Spain, how Latin founders can join the Silicon Valley club, and how the give back culture works around the world. NFX's investment thesis and current numbers for Latin America and Anna's advice for startup founders in the region. My name is Brian Reckworth and this is Latitude Podcast, Vamos Latam. Well, thank you for making the time for our podcast. Uh, I I was maybe the second episode of your podcast, right? Or a second or third maybe? Yes.
1: Yes. That was cool.
0: So, uh, and I really enjoyed the chat. It was super fun. But maybe you could start off just by sharing a little bit more. You worked at big companies like PwC and Amazon, and you, you switched up the script here, uh, moving from Barcelona uh, to the Silicon Valley. You got that MBA at Stanford, which uh amazing university. And then you also went to Y Combinator, which is another amazing school. So what made you want to join the startup world and, and become a founder?
1: Yeah, good question. So... Actually, um, my first, so I, I, spent time in these big companies, but like my first job out of like right after college was funny enough at a, at a gaming startup. Uh, so I had studied business and law and I had been working with PwC during, during college, like helping with like the legal advisory side of things of, of M and A transactions. Um, but like the last few years of, of college, I, I got the startup bug. And uh instead of like deciding to go through that path of like either consulting or or, or law, I, I decided to 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 join a startup. So at the time I was in Barcelona, like the startup ecosystem there was really, really nascent. Like there were not a lot of companies there, but I was like, okay, I need to find the most well run startup in this city. Join and just learn how, how this is done. So I ended up joining a, this gaming startup called Akamon at the time. Um, and that's where, that's where everything started. Um, but then like after I spent like almost a year there and then I, so Amazon at the time was like rapidly expanding in Europe. This was around 2013. And at some point, they were opening up the, their Spanish office. And I was invited to join them like, as part of the early Amazon Marketplace team. And like, in pursuit of like, this learning of like, tech... And, and, and I mean, Amazon is a company that is very interesting because it's a big, big company, but also they do a lot of things like a startup. So I decided to make the move and, and join them, which ended up being a very formative experience for me.
0: What's your biggest takeaway from that that experience uh, in terms of like operational expertise and business?
1: The biggest takeaway. So Amazon is known for customer obsession, and that's something that they talk a lot about. Um, and and a lot of companies talk about customer obsession, right? But I think my biggest takeaway was like how you are customer obsessed for real. <laughs> Like they took that principle that they call it like super seriously, and it was embedded in the, in the whole company. And you could see how, you know, like that that drove like a lot of like their success, just being focused there. The other big principle that I I still like think about today a lot is like the principle of ownership. They like structured the company in a way. I think like one of the keys to to being able to continue to churn out like new products in very different industries and be successful at it was like how they give ownership to all the teams to be decision makers of their own and don't create like this super hierarchical structure that a lot of companies end up creating as as they grow like so so they they managed to keep teams pretty nimble and and make decisions on their own which which is like it has worked really well for them right
0: and then you, you decided to you know, go out and start something and, and you, you, Jupiter, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. a, a creator-driven recipe and grocery shopping platform. Where did the idea for, for that startup come from? And how did you find your, your co-founders and go from idea to execution right out of the MBA?
1: So I, I started the company when I was at, at the MBA. So I, after having spent that uh, almost four years at Amazon in Spain, I decided to, to move to Silicon Valley and for, for, for my MBA. At Stanford, and I met my my co founder Chad like first quarter of the m b a and and we started kind of like talking about ideas and really like draw a plan of like how to spend the the next two years of the m b a just like exploring different phases um and Jupiter evolved a lot like we we tested a bunch of things uh the initial the initial uh, idea that we had was, or, or like what how, how Jupiter was born like was uh, doing like we were doing like delivery. It sounds super crazy these days, but like it was delivery inside your home. So we were doing like what we called at the time last meter delivery company. Um, you, you should imagine like you should think about a world pre pandemic. Obviously, that this was like 2019 and we had seen like um i mean also like me through my experience working at amazon we had seen that like sometimes like delivering to the door as it was common um was was creating like a lot of problems logistic wise like at least in, in san francisco and certain cities in the us a lot of packages were stolen when they were delivered to the door um also like there was like kind of like this weird phenomenon that like normally like the people that most that needed grocery delivery the most or the busiest people were normally the ones that were never at home at the time because they were kind of like at work for many hours. So we decided to launch this service that was basically like delivery, grocery delivery, but that you would give access to your home and then we would deliver inside of it. So that was the initial idea. Um, And yeah, that's what we joined Y Combinator to do. And that was our idea until until covid hit yeah, like a few is months a later
0: pretty, a pretty stark <laughs> yeah. you know change because all of a sudden you're like oh yeah and you can't interact with anyone in the physical world for a while so that made it so how do you yeah. what do you do when you're you know hit with that particular challenge how, how did you react to that
1: so the pandemic was a very interesting um it had a very interesting impact on our on our business it, it, it was like a It was twofold. Like, on one hand, obviously, like we had operated, we had been operating like this company, like this model, like this past model for, 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 for nine months. We were finding success. Like, we were acquiring a lot of customers. Things were working well. Like, we were solving the problems. Like, we had to do a lot of things around trust, as you can imagine. Um, also like operationally, a lot of things. And the pandemic meant that we had to stop uh kind of like the the core like we had to stop obviously delivering inside the homes but that was kind of like the, the bad impact of the pandemic. But on the other hand, the pandemic created like a massive demand for for grocery delivery. And there was like this period in which like there was a huge mismatch of demand and supply and like the uh, the main players at the time, um like Instacart, Amazon, Fresh and so on, like could not keep up with the sudden increase in the demand. So it was like a period of crazy growth for us because basically what we decided was like, okay, we're going to stop delivering inside the home, but like we're going to continue delivering to the door for a while. And we also didn't know how how long that was going to last. So our reaction was like, okay, let's, I don't know, make the most out of it and continue like acquiring new customers through this time. So yeah, we were growing super fast at the time but after a while when we realized that the pandemic was going to was going to stay with us for longer we had to made a decision of like okay um yeah we can continue doing this but it's going to be very hard to compete with these big players without having like a massive differentiation long time so we had to to made a hard decision to to pivot the business towards towards to, to what it looks like today, which is more of an asset-like play um, focused on creators. Yeah. So it was a, a big shift and like some months of a lot of uncertainty adapting to, to this new reality.
0: We, we'll we'll double click on that in a second. I want to ask you yeah. something around your move to Silicon Valley. Because mm-hmm. in, in my chat with James Courier, uh, who you, know, you work with at, at NFX,
1: uh-huh.
0: I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he talked about like these centers of all this activity and you physically moving into a certain place, like actually permits you to have opportunities. You came from Spain, from Barcelona, and you know, that's a burgeoning ecosystem, but it's much smaller, obviously, than you know, other ecosystems. And it allowed you to one, raise, you know, raise venture, launch a startup, and now you're working as an investor at NFX. So do you think that other founders should pick up? I mean, if you're if you're a Latam founder, and you're trying to you know build something at scale and raise serious venture and attack a really important market. I know that YC really encourages everyone to move to the you know the Silicon Valley, and that's like a strong thing that they state. Do you think that is the right fit for most startups? Like, should they be doing that more?
1: That's a great question. Um, I'm not sure. I would say that uh, it's the right fit for every startup. I mean it really depends on like what you're building and I don't know I think I think like for example being closer to customers probably is more important than than you know like staying in the bay I do think that as a founder is is important to to make sure that you spend some time in your life uh, in silicon valley uh kind of like getting you know like in touch with like how how people here think about company building. Like at the end of the day, I mean, Silicon Valley, it's been like the center of, of startups for many years. And like the, the density of people who knows about startups, who's done it before, um, is super high here. Um, and, and I think, yeah, like being in touch with that, like really changes your mindset in terms of like how things are done and how to think about it. Like for me, it was a massive change. Like, Coming here, like from Spain, like yeah. I, I for example, a, a big thing for me was like in Spain, I think people are a bit more afraid to think big, or like not a lot of people know like what's possible in a way, like in in the world of startups. Uh, so when I came here, I was coming with this mindset of okay, I'll go there, I'll I, I will learn a lot, you know, like kind of like continuing this path of like okay, I learned from the startup that I worked at, I learned from. Amazon now I will learn at Stanford but then when I arrived here I realized that the mindset here was more like no no the way you learn is just by doing it and starting to to try and you know like you you won't be good at good at certain things at the beginning but like you are going to have people around you like it's it's more about like start trying early and make sure that 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 you kind of like are close to people that have done it before and and can ac- that can help you accelerate that learning. So that was a massive mind shift for for me. Like when I came here, I was I was never coming with the idea of like I'm gonna start a company during the during the MBA. But I arrived here and everyone was like, No, I want to do this now. So this thinking big was something that that I kind of like absorbed from the environment. So I think that's that's why it's important to to have some contact and maybe like if you cannot move here if you're already you've never spent time here and you're already like starting your business i don't know in latin america maybe you don't have the luxury of say okay now i'm going to spend you know a lot of months there but like making sure that you come from time to time and build relationships here i think can be very valuable to to your to your journey as a founder
0: What would be your advice to a founder that's listening that doesn't have a network in the Silicon Valley and didn't go to Stanford? How would you go about assembling a network that's going to enable you to kind of penetrate some of these inner circles? Because let's face it, I I was actually kind of joking about this with, uh, some CEOs that were here from, uh, you know, from Los Angeles. They're in Mexico City and we were, they were doing like a, a couple day tour and meeting with different executives and companies and, and local kind of government and and it was i kind of told them my story and they're like it sounds like you were a real outsider and now you're an insider and i was i was kind of reminiscing on that because everything opened up when i met a few people that could introduce that introduced me to to a handful of investors or you know wrote a check and then all of a sudden i had like i could leverage their credibility you are a a very unconnected person in latin america and you want to start networking in the Silicon Valley, what would be your process?
1: Yeah. So, and we're talking about someone that is a founder, right? Not like someone starting their careers. No founder
0: that's building a a company and is is looking to be more plugged into the scene.
1: Yeah. So I think my first step would be to literally make a list of, of the founders in my city or country that are connected to, to the Silicon Valley um, and start building relationships with them, you know, like people that are closer to you. I think it might be, sadly, it might be a bit hard to, you know, to start building the connection right away with the Silicon Valley. But I think like uh, finding these people that are kind of like in your network, but that are also in that network, those can be like really transformational to you. So I will start building network with them. And then, you know, ask them for like proof that you're someone that you know is is very serious about um doing this like starting a company that is very ambitious i would also like consume content to be honest like from from the silicon valley i would like read everything i think that's something very special about the times that we're living in that like you can learn a lot just online and hear from these people, like people here in Silicon Valley, online. So I would start by doing a mix of it and just like proving these connectors that that I'm someone serious, ambitious. And, and then like from there, maybe maybe like after a time, plan a trip to the Silicon Valley and ask for these same people to uh, to introduce me to to people in in San Francisco and start start spending time together. that, that would be how would i start and some and at some point someone will you know give you a chance and then you will use that chance for someone else to give you a chance and and you can keep building from there
0: on the content side just as a quick plug for nfx uh, if if you don't subscribe to some of the nfx content you're listening to this you you definitely should uh it's some of the highest caliber quality content that exists uh and it's you know it's a masterclass all over you know all over the place so Definitely, uh, you know, would, would be a good, smart thing to do for founders because there, there's a lot of high, very curated content that's targeted at founders. So yeah, yeah I think, and that, just to
1: add something, like, yeah. um, I think something that is particularly special about the Silicon Valley. And I think that that has been the reason of why this region has succeeded so much, um, is that people like here really, So really welcome uh, builders and, and, you know, like just ambitious, smart people are really welcome here, regardless of where they're from. You know, like I think like there's some status games that are played in other parts of the world, um, that that definitely don't exist here. I think that one of the most special things is that here you can, you know, connect with like super successful people and they will be always willing to give their time and, just, just if they see that spark in you and and like this kind of like willingness to succeed and prosper, you're you're always going to be given an opportunity here. But it's true that step by step is also important.
0: Yeah, when you say status games, give me an give me an example of what you refer to, like outside of that, that kind of Silicon Valley bubble.
1: I don't want to criticize <laughs> anyone, but like um, I don't know, I for example I, I will use spain as an as an example i think like you know sometimes not everyone uh but like sometimes founders there you you know that that might not have accomplished like like to the, like things to the same level as some people have accomplished them here uh they might they might be a bit more reserved or like less willing to to share stuff you know but it's it's a matter of like the how the ecosystem or how the culture or the values are built up—it's not nothing about the person. It's more just like what's you know perceived as normal or per- perceived as common. Like,
0: yeah, I guess yeah. that, I guess that kind of makes sense. Like, if someone has been pretty successful and maybe they want to talk to other people that are like equally successful or more successful, maybe than them. And what you're saying is that in the Silicon Valley, there's less of a Kind of protected line where it's like you don't have to have achieved achieved an amazing high watermark in order for you to to go have a chat with someone because there's just a willingness to share. Is that is that kind of what? Yeah, what and
1: I think I, yeah, and, and probably like the reason for that is that a lot of people that that were successful at some point also had the experience of arriving here and you know like not you know quote unquote being no one and then someone. Ha- Held them like a hand, you know, and share information with them, share best practices, and and those best practices being transformational to their own journey. So I think like the the culture of giving back here is very strong because everyone has benefited one way or another
0: from do, it. In the do past. do you think the counter to that? And don't worry, we don't have to like call out a whole country like Spain, but like <laughs> Latin America, Spain, other places. Do you think that part of the reason why? there's less of a disposition is because kind of the, I don't want to call it like ruling class, but there's like a strong kind of wealthy segment of the population that maybe has kind of stayed like that for a long time. And there's, is there less disposition to kind of let people in, you know, what's our armchair psychology perspective on that?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, some of the explanations that I've heard that have resonated the most, like as comparing, like, for example, Europe and, and the United States, is that, uh, yeah, Europe has been, obviously, like, has been, has existed for longer than, than the United States, right? Like, these countries were created, like, so many years ago. And it feels like the mentality sometimes is more about conservation of what you have um just kind of like protection of of what you have versus like the united states which is kind of like kind of like a new country that has been built in the last you know few centuries and and, and you know like a, a country also made uh, from immigrants and you know like the, the 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 mentality is more about building not not so much about conserving so i think that's one of the things that that can be at play here um you know but but it's a, it's a it's a hard question i i don't have the perfect answer to that
0: yeah i i, I don't either it's it's fun to what kind do of, you
1: think yeah. what do you think
0: i don't know the european perspective i don't really have as much i've been living in latin america for a long time and so i do think that like there is a disposition of latin american founders that want to help other latin american founders because we've seen that at latitude and you know, I'm sure that that exists everywhere in the world to some degree. At least what we've seen at Latitude is like, when you ask a question, there's dozens of people that want to jump in and help. And there's varying degree of success of some of those people. And so I think that, at least from what I've seen over the last decade, as they're becoming more successful people, there's more willingness. And I think that my reflection on this from a personal standpoint is that it's actually selfish to help. Like I'll give you an example. I just had a call with a founder. They called me because they are selling their company, and they needed help with something because there was some structure around the the you know the the C corp and the what entity they're going to the, this company was going to buy. And the, I didn't invest in the company, but I know the founder, and, and I was you know just I spent thirty minutes on the phone talking through it. And they're like, oh yeah, and I'm starting another company, right? And so there's an inside look at the opportunity that comes just because of you're willing to take time. And it's not from like a transactional standpoint. Like I take the call. I'm just like, all right, I'll just help this founder because you know, that's kind of what I do. Maybe there's an understanding of that where it's kind of altruistic and you want to help and all this stuff. But what happens is it compounds and there becomes, you know, a lot of value that's created just by helping other people. Look, I'm not naive, like, and I'm not, you know, someone that just is always helping, you know, I realize that it actually benefits me when I help other people too. It's kind of selfish sometimes, you know? And I mean, maybe charity is the same thing, right? Like when people give to causes, like they're, they're, they feel good about themselves. And so I think that there's an element to that. So I don't know the different, difference in different cultures or what that's like, but I have observed in Latin America, there is definitely a growing willingness to kind of support other founders because we've seen it happen organically in our community.
1: Yeah, and, and you guys are doing so much for that, right? And I think it's so important for for the ecosystem to, you know, set the values or like the shared kind of like understanding on on what's right and wrong and and you know, like people like giving without expecting anything in return at least immediate is is kind of like so key for for the ecosystem, for any ecosystem.
0: Yeah, it, it builds a lot of value, like compound value over time when there's that paying for the car behind you on the toll. And then all of a sudden, like they're like, wow, what a nice thing. And then like maybe they they pay it forward. And so I, I do think that there's compound value that's created when there's when there's that. And then also the more success that happens in the region, the size of the region grows, the opportunities grow. And that, that has a lot of like positive benefits. I mean, I remember talking about this with David Velez on my episode with him. And he was like, we need all these other companies to be super successful for Newbank to be totally. successful. Right. Uh, and so that's, I think that that mentality maybe historically has not been as prevalent. And I don't know. Part of my personal mission is to try to make sure that that is something that is flourishing because I know that it has a lot of really positive impacts.
1: Yeah. No, I think. I think in in that in that America, I feel like people are realizing. I mean, yeah, I, I we wrote this article with with Pete about uh, we call it like um, why Latam is in the ra- on the rise. And and something that I mentioned in in that article is that something very special about Latin American founders is is that they. I, I got the sense that they were not. They are not only thinking about their own success, but they're also thinking about helping with the successes of other companies because they understand these dynamics that you are mentioning that is basically like if there are like success cases that you can point to in latin america that's going to benefit everyone else right because for example invest like um, international investors are going to look at the region and they're going to say oh yeah there were all these these companies that did so well so you know i feel more comfortable going there and investing my money there because you know we've already seen success in the past so in a way, um, everyone benefits if, if things go well for everyone. And and I think like, I, I get the sense that Latin American founders understand this very well and it's it's very special. What's they don't th- see the pie as dividing it, you know? It's more yeah. like they expand together, that, that pie.
0: Yeah. Uh, what's your perspective on kind of the current moment? How does NFX being a global firm think about geographic... Investment opportunities. I know that you, NFX have been very active. I've co-invested with as an angel before with, Mm -hmm. with NFX on a bunch of deals. And then, you know, also our fund is co-invest and then you've invested in our holding company. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at one of the largest seed funds in the world, when you look at the region, is there a allocation of capital that's set aside or is there an opportunistic play where it's like the cream that rises at the top and it's like we do these deals just because we like them. What is the criteria for how you look at Latin America?
1: Yeah, so we don't have uh we, we don't set aside like a specific amount or percentage. Like yeah, like our our and, and we don't do it for for any particular region. Like we, we basically we invest mostly in the US, but also in Latin America, Israel and Europe. And for any of these regions, we have like we don't have like a dedicated allocation. We also don't have dedicated allocations for for sectors. Um, But we remain very excited about Latin America. We've been investing investing there since the very beginnings of of our fund. Um, At the at the time, it was not the plan. With something more like a a really good opportunity come up, you know, Uh, it was kind of like impossible to say no to. In terms of like how great the team was, how good the, the idea was, and that investment was made, and that in, that investment like really uh, made us look at the at the region more closely and learn about the opportunities within. and And today we remain uh, super excited about it and and looking at, at a lot of opportunities. I would say, um, NFX has like it's looking for very specific business models. Like as you know, we, we are known for network effects. So these are kind of like the businesses that we understand the most and that we like investing in the most, so yeah, we're looking for these businesses everywhere uh, and you know trying to understand like what are the best opportunities
0: yeah I, th- I think uh, you know the you know I think probably one of the reasons why they they brought you on also is you speak Spanish and obviously the Spanish speaking market is pretty large. Is there anyone else in the team that has some exposure experience in Latin America? I mean, I know Pete. Invested. We, I think we co-invested in La House together back in the day. It was yes. one of the first investments that NFX made in the region. Mm-hmm. When specifically when they brought you on, because NFX invested in your last company, right? Um, Correct. And you went on yeah. to you went on to raise some uh, you know additional capital after they invested in the seed round. So I, I I assume that you built a relationship in that process, and then when you you know you 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 went over to the other side of the table, was the thought process let's create some more reinforcement of someone that can, you know, dig into Latin America more, uh, you know, or was it just coincidental that you're from Spain and you speak Spanish and that probably gives you a better access in Latin America than, you know, someone that doesn't.
1: So it was not that intentional at the time. Um, I, I had, I had shared that, I had shared my interest uh, in like looking at, at businesses in the region, but like, when I when I joined, the, the idea was more like, okay, go and and find what's interesting to you. I think that's something that I really like about NFX that they're big believers that you'll do well in whatever you're interested in, you know. Um, but after a few months with the firm, like it it became pretty obvious to me that the most interesting opportunities that I was seeing were in Latin America. Um, yeah, I was comparing, I mean, obviously sitting here in the US, I also see a lot of US deals and, and even today, like I'm still investing in, in US companies. But I I was seeing that like a lot of the companies that I was seeing in Latin America normally were they had like, you know, the impact to have a more like more of a transformational business model, whereas in the US with, with obviously exceptions, but like a lot of the things that I was seeing were more incremental. Um, and I think this is a reflection of, you know, a lot of things, uh, if you think about like how things work in Latin America, there are certain sectors that are still dominated by, by big incumbents and by old ways of, of doing things. So I feel like the opportunity to come in as a tech entrepreneur and completely shake those, those industries and do something that is 10x better, that provide something that is 10x better than that, that exists, it's just more present um, just because the ecosystem is more nascent, right? Like in the U.S. since or particularly in Silicon Valley, there has been people trying to do this for much longer. So a lot of those opportunities have already been captured. And, and this was kind of like really clear to me when I was like comparing like the opportunities. I would say right now with AI, <laughs> We're seeing, you know, we're back to also seeing like a lot of um transformational stuff here in the US as well. But but yeah, I think like Latin American entrepreneurs, you know, there's a long list of, of like opportunities that that are still to be captured.
0: You you guys did a speaking of AI, you did a report on AI, you mapped 75 companies. And do you could give kind of the summary of your learnings of that report and you know what how should founders and investors be thinking about the category of a i because a lot of stuff i see i've said on the pod before is like a lot of wrapper on you know g p t and and what what are what are you thinking about what's the internal dialogue look like around a i companies and what what is most exciting to you yeah
1: um so we've been seeing a lot of companies in in a i um and i think Kind of like my obviously like my conclusion and what i'm what I'm spending the most time on these days is just thinking like obviously like what ai what new AI companies are gonna be formed right, but also like and and, and very importantly is like how like existing companies in our portfolio, for example, can benefit from using those AI products to just become like better companies overall right like um i i'm i'm thinking a lot these days about you know like when you look into the future like how would like the, the typical startup look like in the future like since like some you know like if you are thinking for example about software development like we have a lot of portfolio companies already like incorporating some of these tools and seeing like massive increases in productivity by their tech teams uh, same with like marketing teams, you know, like when you start using tools like Jasper and, you know, other stuff, um, you're also seeing a like, massive increase in productivity. So it's like, how can we make sure that the companies are per- in our portfolio are benefiting from all these? And, and maybe like the company of the future is like, is run by very few people, <laughs> you know, like leveraging all these things. We'll need less money, uh, you know, which also impacts like our jobs, like... You know, like the future funds, like will shrink in size because, like, founders will less will need less. You know, there are all these kind of things that are interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I agree that you know I, I was having a conversation with a founder the other day, and they, you know, they were convinced that this would change a lot of the whole venture game because mm-hmm. the efficiency of companies, the need to hire, you know, will, will be reduced, and therefore, you know, the, the check size. You know, you could maybe liken it a little bit to, you know, Amazon web services and, you know, cloud, cloud computing, totally. because that brought a whole layer of, you know, cost savings and scalability that, you know, that didn't exist before. And the cost of starting a company was, was much higher. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the bottom line is that it, it changed dramatically, but it just enabled more opportunities, right? And, and, and so it, it didn't, you know, it didn't, it, it just increased the number of companies that were being built, right? So totally. maybe, maybe we'll see a lot more smaller companies that are doing, you know, $10 million in revenue instead of, you know, many more companies doing, you know, whatever, 500 million.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the future. But yeah, I, I've thought about this parallelism as well. Like, yeah, cloud was really, um, Key to like this, the startup boom that we've seen in the last few years, right? Because basically, like, reduce the cost of starting a company. I think AI is a similar thing. Um, Yeah. So, and and I would say it has also, I feel it has also come at the right time (laughs) in the sense that, like, we're in a, you know, market downturn in which like capital is less available. So tools that allow you to do more with less, like, it's, it's kind of like the perfect moment. Uh, to leverage those tools,
0: I would like you to expand on this. You know, you, you you wrote that article that you'd mentioned. You cited a few minutes ago about how you know Latin America is on the rise, and then in the article you'd mentioned something about sure. building a company as a new form of public service. Can you elaborate a little bit on that for me?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, th- th- this impacted me when I when I started meeting those Latin entrepreneurs. That they were really. You know, like the, the way they were thinking about starting a company, they were doing it like partly, obviously, like for all the reasons that you would start a company, but also like they see it as a way to transform the region, you know, like that do good for the region. They were like very uh, thoughtful about the problems that the region had and thinking about solutions to to solve them. And, you know, like their success was... Like the region's success and like the other people's in the in the region's success, so I think that's something more very special of Latin American founders is an ethos that i that I don't see in other parts of the world
0: when you look at the investments that you've made so so how many investments has NFX made in Latin America? what's the total count
1: We've made ten investments and we've announced eight of them
0: How, how do you think about as a, a global investor? You've co-invested with a handful of local investors and, you know, you'll co-invest with other investors. Are are you, is it something that you look for? Like, do you want a local on the ground partner when you, when you invest? And like, what's, what percentage of the, of the funds that you've deployed are are co-investment with other, you know, co-leads?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a very high percentage, you know, more than, more than in the US. I feel like in the US, like we rarely co invest with other funds. Uh yeah, we, we you know, like we normally like lead rounds and take the whole round normally. I think in Latin America we're a bit more open and even like sometimes seeking for for that partnership with local investors because we understand that each of us will bring like different value to the table and you know, I, I think they're like really great funds, like really great local funds that we like to to work with and have very good relationships with. I wouldn't say like it's a need to have, you know, like um, at this point, like we have enough of a network, like a local network to be, you know, uh, to feel comfortable doing investment on our own. But like... We, we also like to, to co-invest with those investors and think like that it's, it's a good partnership. And at the end, we're thinking about what's best for the entrepreneur as well. What's the best syndicate? And that varies from, from company to company, but very open to do that.
0: I have one last uh, question for you uh, before we wrap up here. And it's kind of a funny question. The other day I was talking to a founder and he had raised the seed round, but it was a pretty small seed round. And so mm-hmm. he was going out to raise a, a three or $4 million, you know, post seed, which you would call it a series A. And I saw that he had NFX on the list. And what I told him, I said, Hey, listen, NFX invests in seed rounds, like they don't invest in series A rounds. What is the internal dialogue in terms of like when it's too late for NFX to invest? Cause in this case, it was a, you know, three or $4 million round, which is is probably in your wheelhouse because it's a large fund and you know you can deploy a, a you know three million dollar check pretty easily. So what is kind of the cutoff where it's like, you know, is it that there's another institutional investor uh that already led the round? Like what is the is it the equity stake that when they come to you where they need to, you know, there needs to be no more than 80 eighty five 80, percent in the hands of the founders. Talk a little bit more about mm. the definition of a seed round.
1: Yeah, good question. So we we like to I mean our, our model is to invest uh at at the seed stage. But it's true that in, in Latin America we're a bit more open minded to maybe take a look at series A rounds than we are in the US. And there are a few reasons. Like one is that um you know like series A's in, in Latin America are normally smaller than in the US. So they match our check size. Um and, and at the end like which when is, we which is,
0: uh, which is where? Give us the range. From
1: one to five. Okay. From one to five. But I, I think like something important to take in mind ma- to, to keep into account is that um yeah, to your point, uh for, for us for, for it to be an interesting opportunity for us, we need to be able to have like some meaningful ownership in that investment. So we wouldn't participate in the round if like the round is already like taken. And the reason for that is just like our, our model as a fund. Like we are what we call high conviction, high commitment. So we spend a lot of time with the entrepreneurs, we back so, and our, and our time and resources are limited. So we ne- we need to make sure that we invest in a few select companies that we're able to support. And and for that to make sense, we need like a like a certain level of ownership. But I would say, you know, if it fits our tech size, if it's there's space in the round for us to get there, we will take a look.
0: That makes sense. What final advice would you give to startup founders here? You know, listening today and and looking to succeed in scaling their startups and impacting Latin America. My
1: advice would be to always be on the lookout of what's best in class in everything they do, Um, and I think that's something you know, as a as an investor, I think that's one of the biggest values that we can add. Kind of like we we have like these, you know we we have this advantage of seeing thousands of companies and working with tens of them and like having like a very clear understanding or of like okay who are the the founders doing the best job at these things you know like th- different categories of things and i think as a founder you, you don't have the same advantage because you're on your own silo like working on your company so i think like making the effort of constantly be asking like your investors or of other or other people like who do you know that does the best job at this and making sure that you get connected to that person. And you know, like that, that knowledge is shared. I think it's the fastest way to learn and level up as a founder. So I would be always striving to be on the top, you know, this aisle of how things are done. You know, it can be fundraising operating. Um, Yeah. I think that's a question that I, you know, we should be getting more often. We you know, are. you
0: you made me you, you, your response made me want to ask another question. So I'm going to wrap it up mm-hmm. with one last question, which is, you know, NFX is world class at producing content, and, and we've actually built software, which is not very common for a fund to do. How important has been as the software, you know, the you know Signal and these and these other products, along with the content, been in building a brand, sourcing and winning deals? How much would you attribute the efforts there to, to the success of being able to kind of win the best deals?
1: I think um, a lot, you know, like I think those efforts are really important to, to our fund uh for a few reasons. I think like many times, you know, like the founders that we meet are founders that have been subscribers of our content for a while. So I think there's like these Interesting dynamic in which, like, uh, they feel like they already know us, right? So it's not like a new relationship that you're starting. It's something they they already know how we think, you know, and uh, so so we we don't need to spend so much time kind of proving ourselves. So I think like again, again, back to this thing of like giving uh, giving without expecting anything in return. Like with through our content, through the products that we've built to for the community, I think we 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 are we have already proved that we're giving, you know, stuff to them. So we don't need to do like such a, you know, effort of sales because we we've, we've already done it. So definitely super super important. Um and it's also, you know, also selfishly is something that we love to do. <laughs> like everyone at NFX has been a founder before, so I think like the the opportunity to continue being involved with building in a way, you know, um either like through the products that we that we build and, and through the content is something that keeps us a bit alive and connected to to that like builder side that we all have. So so yeah. I think
0: it keeps it keeps you sharp, right? Like I'm so grateful I get to have this podcast because I get to talk to investors, founders from all over Latam and, you know, in the US and it's something that uh, you know, I feel like I get to learn progressively over time, you know, more by staying connected and and so it's uh it's Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's good that it's, there's a natural inclination because I don't think every VC can go out and just produce a ton of content. If they're not passionate about it, it, you know, it'll come across as kind of gimmicky content, but you know, there's a lot of thought that goes into the content and NFX. So that's, that's, that's really great. Well, thank you for Mm -hmm. making the time. And I hope that, you know, maybe at some point, uh, you'll invite me back to your, to your, the, the podcast. Um, maybe give a shout out to your podcast too on here so that. Anyone listening, if they don't subscribe, y habla en español, eh, ahí se se (sighs) puede escuchar eh, contenido en español sobre el sector de tech y y venture capital en LATAM, ¿no? What's the the best way to to listen to your your podcast?
1: Uh, So you can listen to it in in all the main platforms. It's called Beta Podcast LATAM, and it's on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast. Uh, We also have a Twitter account where we also... You can also find the links to all this, but yeah, Beta Podcast Latam, awesome, and yeah, Brian, we would love to have you on very soon.
0: I'm I'm, I'm excited to to stay in contact, and you know, you've got uh, three great co-hosts, uh, and it's you know people that I'm already a fan of, and uh, and so I, I you know welcome any any time to come back, and and thank you for making the time, and and thank you for being a supporter of Latitude.
1: Thank you for having me. It was super fun.
0: Thank you for listening to the Latitude Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast for more talks with great founders and investors. I'm your host, Brian Reckworth. Vamos Latam.